Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again today. Thank you again for joining us every week at the same time. We are right now, I think, in an exciting study on the book of Romans. I really love the fact that we can, uh, in the studio setting like this, be able to just unpack some things and really be able to teach the Word of God, where as a traveling mobile ministry, I'm not able to just consecutively teach, you know, sometimes uh, chapter by chapter and book by book. And we've got some incredible, uh, I believe, footage and audio that is available for you to study or to follow, or even to share in your uh, home groups, or in your Wednesday night uh, Bible studies, uh, share with your friends. Help us get the Word out. The easiest way to do that, because we are now going to, we're going to review just a little bit with chapter 3 of Romans, but we're going to move into chapter 4 for the next probably couple of weeks, uh, because we have dealt with the uh, diagnosis uh, section of the book of Romans and the condition of the human family, and now we are going to begin to shift our focus to the deliverance section of this. And uh, uh, you would be blessed to go back and study a lot of our material. We have playlists on YouTube and on uh, iTunes that have everything from the book of Hebrews to the book of Revelation, and playlist on certain subjects that I think you would be blessed by going back and reviewing. I would also say to you, if you're watching today and you uh, uh, don't have, uh, you know, uh, like uh, this channel in the home you're in, you maybe you're seeing this in a hotel, you can watch us on YouTube. You can also download the Impact app, and we are on live at 4, at least our program airs at 4 p.m. on Mondays on the Impact Television Network. The easiest way to go to uh, our YouTube channel and to our iPod, uh, or to the podcast, and to the RSS feed for your Android device is to simply go to our website that you see listed on the screen there. And in the upper right-hand corner, there is a place where you can go directly uh, to uh, our YouTube, our uh, podcast, and you can sign up there and subscribe. It's free. And, uh, you know, you can watch it at your leisure on your smart device or any more people are watching their Roku or their, uh, uh, you know, their streaming stick. So the good thing is everything is on demand that way. And you watch it at your leisure. You can share it with your friends. You can watch it in the privacy of your home. If you like it and you're really being fed by our ministry, let me just encourage you. We don't spend much time talking about this. But we do need your help. If you watch my program, uh, we spend about 30 seconds encouraging you to give into the ministry. But rest assured, we do need your help. We do need partners that will partner with us to be able to take this kind of a gospel around the world. And so if you'd like to do that, it's easy to do that, because while you're there on my website, there is a link where you can give uh, via the website through PayPal. You can use your credit card, your debit card, uh, you can set up a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner, or you can give a one-time gift. That's your uh, your choice. Uh, or you can send a check or money order uh, to the address that will come on the screen. You can also scan the QR code that's on there. It'll take you directly to a place where you can do that. And uh, we really encourage you to do that today. We do need your help in uh, being able to take this 
around the world. So if you're feeding from our ministry and you're being blessed by it, you'd like to see others have it, share these uh, videos, share these podcasts, and then help us by supporting what we're doing. Uh, you know, there's so much on television anymore that's so diametrically opposed to the gospel. Uh, you know, even with some of the latest stuff that we've seen in the news where, you know, media is really trying to control uh, the way people think. But the truth is, is that we need good, wholesome programming, I believe, like this that can help substitute. So, you know, get behind something that is really doing something to change the mindset of people to a proper focus, I believe, uh, because it, whoever controls the information flow is going to control the people. And so I, be, I believe the Lord has sent us at this season to be a voice. Sometimes I feel like a voice crying in the wilderness, and that, uh, but, uh, and, uh, you know, it's amazing to me, and I've said this before, but the people who do not like us have uh, a hair trigger on their writing finger, and they never write and tell you, but the people who love you don't talk to you, or they, haven't, they don't send anything, or they don't respond. And let me tell you that it's really important that we hear from people, because it keeps us knowing where we're being effective and where we're doing the best stewardship with God's resources. Uh, that was probably too much, too long talking about uh, that, but uh, I just wanted to encourage you with that. But I want to go back and review just a little bit of three of uh, Romans. One, two, and three, you've heard me already say this, was the diagnosis. It is God concluding that everybody, insider, outsider, Jew, Gentile, we're all in the same sinking boat. He concluded all under sin so He could have mercy on all. And He leaves us in this place in Romans chapter 3, especially verse 23, where He talks about, you know, um, that God is going to set things right through Jesus. I love to read this from the Message Bible uh, because it really, uh, it's powerfully clear this way. Sometimes you get lost in the these and thous of King James, and that's why I've even tried to shift a lot of what I do from the New King James Version, because it puts it more not in the 200-year-old uh, Queen's language of English, but our common language of the day. But Romans 3 says this, this is verse 21, it says, but in our time, something new has been added. He's talking about the New Covenant. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. In other words, even the law and the prophets were proclaiming a coming day when God would set things right Himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The law and the prophets testified of it. I don't know if we set sometimes, and it dawns on us, that the Apostle Paul who is writing this, and these apostles in the New Testament, they did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the New Testament to preach from. They preached Christ and His finished work from the law and the prophets, as the prophets looked into these things and, and saw something that God was going to do, and that something new has been added, is what he's saying here in Romans 3. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. So he's talking about a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And he's talking about a righteousness that is different than the righteousness of the, of the, of the um, uh, Mosaic system, because under the Mosaic system, the only way you could be declared righteous 
was to have kept every jot tittle of the law, and then you would be declared righteous. But the end of the law again was, there's none righteous. No, not even one. Romans 3, reading again from the King James Version, none righteous, not even one. Not even Moses, the mediator of that covenant, made it in by the works of the law. Uh, but he says, not only did was this, this is, we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us, and not only for us, but for everyone who believes in Him. See, it's important to faith. It's important to access this great by, grace by faith. We're going to talk about a lot of uh, stuff as we get into the remedy or the, if you will, deliverance from this diagnosis as we get into chapter 4. The issue in the New Covenant is not works, it's faith. Now, faith that works by love. Now, let me just say this as well. This God-setting thing right uh, I, I want to mention, as I think about this, you know, I did a, a message way back on Matthew, the fifth chapter, because when Jesus comes on the scene, it is amazing to me that Moses spends 40 years, or I'm sorry, 40 days in the mountain as he's receiving the law on the tablets of stone. But Jesus, and he comes down the mountain and reads the law to the people. But Jesus, on the other hand, when He's introduced by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the devil. But when He comes out successfully, not having failed the testing, being tested in every way, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and the devil offering everything there was to offer, Jesus comes out of that mountain, and instead of teaching the law, he begins to teach the Beatitudes. Now, what are Beatitudes, Dr. House? They are attitudes that we need to be in. They are attitudes that teach us how to receive the kingdom, and attitudes that teach us how to release and minister the kingdom. And so, as he is introducing the kingdom, he will say things like, you have heard it said that it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, if, you know, someone smites you on the cheek, turn to him the other. In other words, so he's establishing himself. Where, where did you hear that said? Would be the question. Well, you heard it said under the Old Covenant and under the Old Testament. That's where you saw that said. But he's establishing himself now as the mediator of a new covenant, and he's establishing the constitution of the kingdom, which was the Beatitudes. And he begins to declare to them, if you are not hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you will never be filled. Now, let me say to you, what he's saying to them is that simply this, under the old covenant, you never seem to achieve righteousness, because it was always something that was way out there. But in the New Covenant, if you are hungry for what he was saying to this first century group of people, if you're hungry for righteousness, you're about to be filled, because what we see here in Romans is that what the prophets were speaking of was now coming to pass in the person and the work of Jesus, so that this righteousness, which was by faith, was now being declared and uh, that those who were hungry were being filled so that Jesus said something like this, come to me, all you who are hungry and thirsty, and you will never thirst again. In other words, there will be a satisfaction of the righteousness that you've been thirsty and hungry for. You're blessed when you mourn because you're about to be comforted. Under the old covenant, 
It was a time of mourning in the New Testament. Uh, he's, you know, it's amazing to me in Isaiah, the 40th chapter, I believe it is, uh, he begins to say, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. And if you look back at the book of Isaiah, it is like a mini Bible. It has 66 chapters, just like there's 66 books in the Bible. And chapter 40 would be the beginning of the New Testament in the book of Isaiah, if you saw it like that, because he begins to shift in, in the 40th chapter. And from then on, he's beginning to talk about redemption and salvation and a river flowing out of a city of God and a Messiah coming, being wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. But he says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, and tell her her warfare is accomplished. Well, I don't want to, you know, kind of just uh, chase too many rabbits here, but, you know, even Ecclesiastes, I believe it is chapter 3, says there is a time and a purpose, and uh, 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 there's a time and a season for every purpose under the heavens. There's a time to live and a time to die, and a time to mourn, a time to refrain from mourning. mourning. There's a time to for, for war, a time for peace. There's time for uh, weeping. There's time for joy. There's time for you know. In other words, you 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 know you uh, most people can quote that because of the popular song back in the seventies. But what he's uh, simply saying there is that there is a time for all of that. But let me tell you what time it is. What time it is, is under the Old Covenant, it was time to mourn. But in Matthew 5, Jesus said that he, if you, you're blessed if you mourn because you're going to be comforted. So in the New Covenant, it's time for comfort. Under the Old Covenant, you are in warfare. The Scripture tells us in Matthew 11, up until John the Baptist, all the law and the prophets, uh, and all of that, the kingdom of heaven was taken by violence. But now, the, and then the violent take it by force. But Jesus was really shifting that mindset to say, now in the latter part of Matthew 11, that we receive it through the unforced rhythm of grace. So your warfare is accomplished. Under the old covenant, it was time for war. In the new covenant, it's time for peace. No wonder Jesus would say, blessed are the peacemakers. Under the old covenant, it was a time of sorrow. In the New Covenant, it's a time of joy. Under the Old Covenant, it was time, uh, you know, to refrain from embracing. And today, in the New Covenant, it is time to embrace what could not be embraced before. Can you see the shift there? And then as Jesus comes down through their teaching, uh, the Beatitudes, that He begins to shift some stuff. The scribes, Pharisees are say, standing there, and Jesus is teaching this to the multitudes and to the common people. It's the most famous, one of the most famous messages Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Literally, He was, uh, you know, standing there, uh, really bringing division in the covenants. I think you could uh, attach somewhat to the book of Isaiah, or not Isaiah, I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 4, or um, not chapter 4, but the book of Zechariah, where he talked about the mountain being cleaved in two, and his feet would touch the Mount of Olives. He's been on the Mount of Olives, but he's dividing the Old Covenant, Mount Sinai, from the New Covenant, Mount Zion. And there's a great division that's taking place here. And as he comes down through this, he looks then at the common people. Now, I'm not getting very far here, but I really want to set this up today. He looks at the common people and the people that are standing there listening to his words. And he tells them, Except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom. And then, uh, you know, so, so, I mean, if you were standing there as Jesus is teaching this message, and you hear Him say, you need a righteousness that exceeds this, these holy dudes you see here. See, that would be like saying to a Catholic, 
except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pope, you will in no wise enter the kingdom. And everybody standing there would have to go, oh my Lord, man, I probably am not going to make it then, because I don't even have a righteousness that's nowhere near that. See, the whole purpose, even as Jesus comes down through that, He begins to teach them because, He begins to teach them the law because He's doing what Romans 3 is declaring. He is concluding all under sin so that it can point to the fact that you need a Savior. Because once you see all of that, if you've ever read Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, if you don't have a proper hermeneutic of what that's really about, you will leave there with greater condemnation than you would have if you were listening to Moses teach. Because what Jesus was doing was teaching the law unwatered down because He was made of a woman, watch this, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive a righteousness which is by faith. So He he was teaching them and concluding all under sin so that, so that the common people would turn around and say, well, then I'm out. But then the holy dudes, I call them, the Pharisees are standing there, and they're like, well, <laughs> thank God I'm not like that sinner, and as long as I'm not that bad, see, as long as we can keep the heat on another group or someone other than me, I never have to face my own complicity in the, the whole thing that Jesus was trying to do. But then he begins to turn on the holy dudes. And he says to them, now you think you're holy, but here's the deal, man. Uh, you know, if you, your law says, uh, you know, do not uh, uh, kill, but I say if you hate your brother, you're a killer. So Jesus ups the ante and says, it's not just about uh, the act that you do. So if you're going to keep the law and you're going to try to be justified on the basis of the law, it's not just the fact that you never killed anybody. It's the fact that you never even thought about it or hated your brother without a cause. And then he brings in another one of those laws, and he says, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. So Jesus was saying to them, here's the deal. Not only are you, you can't stand back and say, well, you know, I'm holy because I've never actually committed the act. But if you actually thought about it and it was in your heart, then he said, then you're guilty of that. And he keeps going down. Then it goes, if your eye offends you, poke it out. But we never line people up and poke their eyes out. We never line people up. He said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life hamed, uh, blind than to, to be cast into the hell of fire. Uh, where they're, you know, And he goes on to talk about all of this kind of stuff. And I could get into a lot of what that means there. But the reality is what he's doing there is he is, he is upping the ante to make them see what Romans 3 is declaring, that insiders, outsiders, uh, 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 we're all in the same sinking boat, because he, he he indicts everything and everybody in, in chapters 1 and 2, and then he turns again on the Jews and said, you know, you all have had the covenants of promises. You've had the oracles of God. You've been taught in the ways of God. But you that do these things and you condemn them, do you do the same things? And he begins to say, listen, you folks need Jesus. <laughs> you, you, I think sometimes it's easier to get uh, sinners to, to repent and to come to God and to just receive this gift of righteousness than these people who've spent their whole life 
thinking they've earned God's approval or they've earned God's righteousness or they're holy on the basis of their own uh, personality or their own uh, human effort. And then Jesus kind of puts a, you know, he, as he comes on down there, he's indicting everything. I mean, everybody, everything. If your brother shoes you, takes your coat, give him your cloak also. If he smites you on the face, turn to him the other one. If he, you know, bids you to go with him for a mile, go with him two miles. In other words, he's really upping the ante of what all uh, he is teaching them here to show them, based on the Mosaic Covenant, there's not one of you that's righteous, not even one. And then he says this, he said, heaven and earth will pass away. He said, not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass away until heaven and earth pass away. And I don't have the time to really get into this, but the passing away of the heaven and the earth is not cosmic, it is covenantal. God uses that terminology in Isaiah when He said, when I laid the, uh, the foundations of the earth and stretched out the heavens and said to Zion, you are my people. And then if you would talk to any Jewish person, they would tell you that their heaven and their earth was connected in their temple and in their covenant. And when the Scripture talks about, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former things had passed away. He's not talking about a covenant collapse. He's talking about the, the covenant rolled together as a great scroll, where Jesus would say to them, I did not come to do away with the law, to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing in His earth walk, was fulfilling every jot and tittle of the law to become the perfect sacrifice, who was the only one who perfectly kept everything God had commanded, so that when He was nailed to the cross, if you if you killed an innocent man, you had to restore, I believe it was until seven times. And the reality was Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice to redeem us from the curse of the law. See, your redemption is not just from sin. And ladies and gentlemen, if we are not living in a new heaven and a new earth, then we are still under the law. And so he said, until one, not one jot or one tittle will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass until all is fulfilled. So Jesus fulfilled all of it as if you would enter into a covenant with me to buy a car that's $10,000. And you would say, here's the covenant that we're going to make. I'm going to make you 10 monthly payments for the next 10 months of $1,000 a month. At the end of that covenant, when you have made your last payment, you did not, you did not destroy that covenant. You fulfilled it. And so what Jesus did was He paid it Oh, see, the power of what we've just seen recently through the Passover season and the resurrection of Jesus Christ symbolized when He got up from the dead that, 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 that death could no longer hold Him, and the covenant of death had been completely dealt with, and now He could release to us the power of a resurrected life. And then Jesus ups the ante even further in the Olivet Discourse, not, not the Olivet Discourse, I'm sorry, on the Beatitudes. When he says in the last chapter of Matthew 5, but be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And so he talks about as he ups the ante <coughs> that perfection is not just do your best, not just try harder, not just to struggle, and, but he, the only thing acceptable was to be perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Well, if that doesn't put a nail in the proverbial coffin to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, I, I don't know that I can ever be perfect like my Father which is in heaven. See, that's what the law required. Now, 
you could go to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and it says that by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. So what he shows you is that in the new covenant, you're sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He said in sacrifice and offering, you have had no pleasure, but a body hast thou prepared for me. And he tells them by one offering, uh, he has sanctified us by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And then Hebrews 10 goes on to say that by that he has perfected forever, forever, them that are sanctified. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Hebrews 6 says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. The word perfection there is not a verb. It is a noun. It is something that you enter into that is already accomplished. It's not a doing. A verb is an action thing. This noun is a something that is a, of a substance. And that perfection is our perfection in Christ. And even as I used to look at Hebrews six and think when he's talking about therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine about Christ, let's go on to perfection, uh, not laying again the foundation of faith towards God and of baptism and laying on of hands. As I looked into that, he's really talking there when he's talking about baptisms and laying on of hands. He's not talking about what we do when we baptize people into Christ or laying on of hands in a church service. I highly believe in that. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I do believe in water baptism in the new covenant. I believe it's a token, uh, like it's almost equivalent to circumcision in the old covenant. But I believe in water baptism and the laying on of hands. But what he's talking about in Hebrews 6, if you read the context of it, is he's talking about the ceremonial washings and the laying on of the hands of these animal sacrifices when they lay their hands on them and confess their sin over those lambs. He's saying we need to move away from these elementary things and go on to perfection because the new covenant was perfect and more awesome because what we see here, just like in Romans chapter 3, it, it is no difference between us, but this, uh, it says here in, in Romans 3, God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear the world of sin. Having faith in Him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with Himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins that He had had been there so long, uh, finally taking care of those sins that have been there. So where does that leave the, our proud Jewish? I'm, I'm mis, I mess, lost my spell. He said, having faith in him sets us in the clear. Uh, God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he has so patiently inserted. Endured. So the sacrifice of Jesus is what set us in the clear. This, th and he said, this is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in His rightness. So where does that leave our proud Jewish insider claims? Canceled. Yes, canceled. We've learned what God does. That this, we've learned this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. We finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and all others, letting Him set the pace, not by proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. So, uh, so what we're doing is we're shifting our focus from what we do to what God has done to include us in this incredible gift of righteousness and this uh, incredible uh, grand making everything right through the sacrifice of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Well, we're running out of time. 
We're going to jump in chapter 4 next week. Join us again. Let me again encourage you that if you'd like to sow a seed into this ministry, to simply go to the website, and there's a place where you can give via credit card, debit card. You can become a monthly partner. You can send a check or a money order to this address that will come on the screen, or you can call the number that will come up on the screen. If you call the number on the screen and you don't get an answer, please leave a message and we will return your call. We have a limited staff that's able to take your calls. So do that today. Pray about becoming a partner. God bless you. We'll see you next week. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.